At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. So guys, creating a bond with somebody at your supply house that works at the counter, I think is very, very important in this trade. Now, I've walked into the supplier and I've seen angry tyrants pounding their fist on, on, on the counter, demanding stuff, pointing fingers. And those people are not really going to get anywhere the next time they go in there for help, right? Maybe they're having a bad day, but I've seen people do this on a regular basis. So if you create a bond and you're polite with them, when you call them up, they'll go that extra mile to help you. This is my experience and this is what I found. And this podcast as I mentioned last time, is sponsored by the Master Group. And this is the kind of feedback I'm giving you from my dealings with them because I use them quite often. I'm very polite with them. I try to be cordial as as possible and, and they give me that same sort of respect back. So create a bond with the people at your supply house because trust me, one day you're going to need them. You're going to call them up and they're going to help you out just because you were polite to them you provided them with the correct information. You didn't point fingers. You didn't get angry and pound your fist on that counter. So this podcast is sponsored by the Master Group, guys. Check out master.ca. The other thing I wanted to bring up is a couple of pump tips from Armstrong. Now, I posted some of these online, and I think they're they're good tips for anybody that works on pumps. Now, the first one, older circulators, the, the, the pump has ridges on it, on the body. So if you look on the round part, close to the volute, I think it is, there's one to four ridges. And that will tell you the pump style that it is. So if the nameplate's gone and you feel the ridges, there's two ridges there. You call up your supplier that that provides Armstrong parts and service and you tell them you have a pump with two ridges on it, you don't have a nameplate. They should be able to figure out what style of pump that is. So keep that in mind. The other thing is if you are installing a brand new split coupled pump, like you have a motor, then you have a pump, and there's a coupling in between. It's like a flexible coupling. Once that pump arrives on site, you're supposed to realign it on site on commissioning before you start it up. And this is one of their tips, and I've heard from techs that haven't, um, that have seen this not done, and it caused problems down the line. So if you have this style of pump that arrives on your job, it gets put in, installed, align that thing on commissioning before startup. And it will help you out during the longevity of that piece of equipment. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. We got Trevor Matthews back on the podcast. And listen, little fault of mine, I recorded the the podcast, and I figured this out like just the other day. I recorded the podcast with the gain up too much on my mic. And it kind of distorted it a little bit. But I sent it out, I got the audio fixed. It's not 100% crisp and clear, but it's good. It's good enough for, for the podcast. So I got it cleaned up by somebody outside. I just sent them the file. They did their best with it. But it won't happen again because I've got my little dials under control. Sometimes I fly down 
and I just turn on the computer and hook up the mic and I'm I'm podcasting within five minutes because life is so busy and, and I didn't check that and that's my fault. But the conversation is still amazing. We talk about compressor electrics, single phase, three phase, and amongst other things during during the, the conversation. And it's it's quite long. It's like over an hour long of some good stuff, good educational stuff. And thank you again, Trevor, for getting back on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You are a great trainer and you do some great stuff for the industry by volunteering your time the way you do to spread the word and spread the education around. So anyway, guys, let's get to Trevor right now. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. We should probably get to the the meat and potatoes, and we're going to talk about, um, at first, we're going to start off with single-phase compressor electrics because they differ from three-phase and... There are some people that work on only three phase and don't really understand single phase. There's some people that work on single phase, like small stuff, fractional horsepower stuff, and they don't really work on three phase. So we should maybe talk about both. So you wanted to start with single phase electrics, right? Yeah, sure. I think we should start with that and then we can see where it goes from there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure, man. So for those of you that worked on uh, single phase compressors and those that haven't, um, you have your, your three terminals. Uh, on the compressor just say it's a scroll compressor you'll have a a start uh, a common and a run so that really that your start is connected to your common and then your your run is connected to your common um in it makes sense gary yep yep certainly does so there's a few things that you 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 want to know about uh the compressors themselves and we'll get into like inside the compressor itself you know you'll have like that that start winding uh, then you'll have like a, the main winding or the run winding in it. Uh, you'll have a stator and then you'll have uh, really some iron cores in there. There's lacing and then you'll have the rotor inside there. And then you'd have really your three uh, connectors to your fusite or to the terminal block mm-hmm. on the inside of the compressor. Right. So yeah, that's really like a lot of people don't see that. A lot of the guys don't see that unless you'll cut open a scroll or take a part of semi hermetic. That's when you would see that. And then inside there, there's uh, you either have depending on if it's a semi-hermetic, they're usually f- they're four pole compressors and they run around uh, 1750 RPM. And then yet yeah, our scrolls are two pole compressors which run around 3500 RPM. That's the nominal RPM. So as they they uh, the speed is uh, higher uh, on those two pole compressors. So. And you'll notice, uh, you'll ever listen to a semi-hermetic compressor compared to a scroll compressor. Uh, scrolls are a bit quieter. Have you ever mm-hmm. noticed that? Yeah. And then um, even like our uh, hermetic compressors themselves as well, they they run at a higher speed. And uh, that's why they're a bit quieter too than that, those semi-hermetics. Um, when you're looking at them, like if you ever look inside them, you can look at, you could even see if it's a four-pole compared to the two-pole. Uh, when you pull those stators out 
And you can see that you know, you can count them actually, like maybe one, two, three, four in those uh, semi-hermetics. And then if you have a scroll part, you can see the two, the main winding versus the, the the start winding. Have you ever ripped one apart or cut any of them apart and looked at the staters themselves? Good question. I don't think that I've I've really paid attention to the staters, yeah. but but now I think I'm going to, yeah. You know, as a mechanic in the field, when I was out in the field, I never really, I haven't either, to be honest with you, until I start really learning heavily about compressor and really understanding them and really under uh, learning about the ins and outs of them, uh, it, it kind of t- took my interest, right? So so anyway, I'm probably boring a lot of the guys out there and ladies, but uh, so, so some things to know about single phase motors there, we have, uh, there's four different types, I guess that we had that i talked about you know before you go on with that can i can we just clarify one one thing because we talked about state stator and 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 uh rotor but for those that are maybe first um diving into this that may not know the difference between the two before before you dive into the types yeah yeah for sure so the stator um has a like it's um has all the winding so all the wires are going through this uh metal or iron core so, so you'll have all the wires going through those. And then inside that, there will be a bunch of, um, they look like uh, metal strips. Maybe that's a, probably the best way to look at it. There's iron cords and then inside there's metal strips. And then inside that stator, you're going to have something called a rotor. So that goes inside. And so when the, um, the power is connected to the stator and you get power in that stator, and we'll, we can talk about the, the shift of... Uh, uh, phase shift that starts to spin the rotor, but that that's when it starts to rotate. So that rotor will rotate. The stator doesn't move and stays in that one place. And that the power goes to the stator and the rotor is connected to the crankshaft of the compressor. Does that make sense? Yep. hundred percent. So the stator is a stationary piece of metal yes. pretty much. And then the rotor is sits within the stator and starts to rotate as the um, as the power is applied, the magnetic the magnetic field is created, right? Yeah, exactly. So you, you're exactly right. The stator stationary. It has yeah. like laminations in it, what we call like low carbon steel. Um, I think they're oxid coating, and then that insulation wire is bundled up inside to there. It's inserted into insulated slots in the core, um, and that's the main the main winding and start winding, and then just has lacing around it. Um, if you ever pull apart, and really, yeah, like you said, the rotor um, has uh, stacked, uh, and then it's die casts. I guess you know what I mean. There's rotor bars, and then those rotor bars are cut. Uh, the they cut the magnetic field to create like the by the stator coil. So a lot of terminology that don't don't really need to to dive into, but uh, that's the little bit I know about them anyway. So cool. All right, so you were going to talk about some types of um... yeah. So four basic types of single phase motors uh, using compressors. So there's a, a split phase or resistance start induction run, and we'll get into what they are in a little bit. Um, capacitor start induction run. You might have seen some of these in school. CSIR, and then capacitor start, capacitor run, compressors, uh-huh. and then permanent split capacitor motors. So we'll dive into to each one of those and, and talk about them. But first. I would like to talk about the the relays themselves uh, that are in these motors. So you have a couple of different relays themselves. You have a start relay, and really that's uh, the current and the potential relay, which really used to um, provide torque 
to start that single phase motor. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, fr- and from there, then you have the current relay itself. So in these, uh, say the um, the split phase motor on split phase motor, you're going to have something called the current relay. And this really, this current relay is in those smaller fractional ho- horsepower compressors. Yep. And the current relay is just uh, some contacts that are normally o- uh, normally open when de-energized, and then it's it has a coil inside it, and it's wound with really heavy wire that's placed in series with the incoming power lines uh, on there. And where you want, would really want to look when you're first uh, working on these compressors is behind that the uh, terminal plate, or sorry, where the wires go in, and there's like the motor terminal box. If you ever pull that off, right behind there, there's a wiring diagram of that compressor. And I know a lot of guys... Uh, maybe miss this or don't look at it, but if you ever wire in a compressor and, or you don't know how to properly wire up which one goes to the R, the M, and uh, the L that I'll talk about in a minute, it's that wiring diagram is right behind the, on that terminal plate, or sorry, on that terminal box cover. Yeah, just like the plastic cover that pops yeah. off, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so uh, the connections to those, uh, that relays are usually L, M, and S. Could be one, five, and two, but um, really, what happens is that when that compressor is energized, that inrush current passes through that current relay coil, and its contacts close and uh, connects that start rewinding to the motor circuit. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Awesome. And then the start winding is wound with like higher resistance than the run winding, so um, smaller, longer wire. And uh, what happens? This changes the phase in the current with respect to that run winding and produces a, the torque required to really start that motor. And uh, when that happens, the relay contacts open when that current drops as that compressor comes up to speed. So as that compressor is running and it's coming up to speed, it drops that out to drop out that start winding. Because if that doesn't drop out or you have a failed, and we can talk about it in the troubleshooting section, but if you have a failed um, current relay and it, it stays, that start winding stays in, you could get something like uh, called um, uh, start winding burn. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that. They're, these are, like I said, on small fractional horsepower, but you want that to drop out. So you always want to check to see when that there's no en- uh, power to that current relay that it's open when it's de-energized. Makes sense? Yeah, it does. I've, I've actually I pulled up a, a diagram of the current relay um, circuit. So yeah, for, for sure. It, it 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 all it all makes sense. The, the, see, these are the things that I don't work on fractional horsepower stuff all that often. I do, but not all that often. So it's good to have a refresher on current relays versus potential relays, and and I think we should maybe get to potential relays at some point too. But you're right. Yeah, the current relay, as opposed to the the potential relay, um, starts normally open. Yeah, and what you want to do is just once again, like you said, just look at the back of the cover. And it's mm-hmm. going to show you like uh, that line power coming in. It's going to go to your uh, uh, L and your M. And then uh, the M is connected to your run winding. And then the L is connected that, uh, to the relay where when it closes, that's connected to start. So when that power gets up, when the compressor starts out, it drops it out because that's very important. That needs to happen. Or you can yeah. run the start winding issues. <clears throat> Well, one of the things I was going to bring up about the current relay, it's it's very easy to tell if a compressor is using a current relay 
as, a, as opposed to a different type of relay, like a potential relay. Because the current relay, the coil is like um, exposed. Like you can actually see it yeah. on, on most of them that I've seen. And they just sort of push on to, some of them just push on to the terminals of the compressor themselves. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and you were bringing up potential relay. So let's talk about the potential relay. So that one now, the potential relay is a voltage sensing relay. And it's placed in, um, it places the start capacitor in series with that start winding. And really does this by sensing the voltage across the start winding and rather than the current as the current relay does. So it's a little, it's a little bit different. And mm -hmm. uh, the potential relays are normally closed and um, really the start contact uh, capacitor is connected to the start winding as soon as that power is applied to the compressor motor. Um, what else? Uh, those relays, so yeah, the relay coil senses that voltage that it is developed across that start winding. And what it's designed to really do is uh, pick up and open its contacts. Because that's what you really want to do once again is get that start winding out. And it dis disconnects that start capacitor from the start winding. And so you really need that, uh, that enough voltage to be generated for this to happen. Yeah, and, that's right. And what we call it like an electromotive force or back EMF or the voltage, right? So that is generated by that start winding and um, is the potential for that motor speed. So the relay will only open when that motor has started and is approaching that normal running speed as well. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, it does. And, and the way I learned potential relays back in the days, uh, I forget what level of schooling I was at, but I remember one instructor saying like when that back EMF on the start winding gets up to about 80% uh, of its, of its full, of its, of, 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 of the full capacity, like 80% of the full capacity, that's when that, that, um, relay will open up and, and get rid of that, uh, get, take the start winding out of the circuit. Yeah. And, uh, that is for a capacitor start induction run uh, compressor. Capacitor start so, induction run uses a potential relay and a yeah. split phase uses a current relay. That's right. And then, um, and when, like um, my, my good buddy, uh, Luciano, he works with me. He gave me a good terminology with, um, with a potential relay. I've never heard this before, but he, he told me it. And he, he uses a, can she run so you five is c two is s and one is r so can she runs common start run and so that's how we always remember to wire it up once again just look at the back of the cover it has the wiring diagram behind there but although he's, he told me to use that one in uh trade school quite a bit so so, so, so that again. explain the can she can she run again? Explain that. So the terminals on the potential relay. So for the um, the coil itself, it's five to two. Yep. And then um, the uh, relay is uh, two to one. Uh huh. So five goes to the common. So can. Uh -huh. Yeah. Two goes to the S she, and yep. one goes to the R run. Can she run? So I thought that was pretty good terminology. He said he used that all the time to just to remember off the top of his head. Gotcha. So you start with the five and work backwards to one and yeah. use the, use the, what, what, what do you call that? Can she run when you take the, the, only the letters out of the, the words? I can't remember what the term, I can't remember what the term for that is. I can't on the top of my head right now either. 
<laughs> well, we're not English majors anyway. That's we're not here no, to talk no, about no. that. <laughs> an acronym. No, an acronym. That's what it's called, right? Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So exactly. so, so the so potential relay as well. I just wanted to add in the potential relay looks different than the current relay. The current relay you can actually see that exposed coil and it looks like it's it's like a, a relay without like a, a cover over it, where the potential relay looks like a, a regular normal relay and it's actually um location sensitive as far as uh which direction it's mounted because there's usually an arrow pointing up on it right yeah yeah exactly yeah that's and why is that point. why is that trevor um why is that that's a good question well basically if you ever take it and you shake it you could hear it move around that's right yeah you can oh, yeah. that's why it has to be directional or it will always stay closed and uh, you don't want that right so you want it to open up gotcha Okay, so from there, let's talk about some start capacitors. So uh, why do you have start capacitor really designed for high starting torque? And um, the start capacitor are designed for intermediate service only. You know what I mean? You don't want them in the system the whole time. And they usually have high microfarad MFD ratings. So you'll see them at like 140 to 160 or 150 to 180 or whatever it is, uh, depending on the compressor that they're they're starting up. And um what else about them okay one thing about the the copeland ones are really any when you're you're working on copeland compressors there needs to be a bleed resistor in there and that that's quite important so you ever look at a capacitor and start capacitor and it has a bleed resistor yes yes and uh you'll see in our literature where we say um what when you're testing them we want you to cut that out and then if it's still good is to solder it back on so I've done it both ways before. I've done it cutting it out. I've done it leaving it in. I don't. I as long as it's discharged, you know, properly, and that's really what the the bleed resistor is for. Um, I've just always cut them out now, just because that's the way Copeland wants it. To, when you're checking them, when you're doing your microfarad check with the proper uh, meter, but really. Um, if you have a capacitor that doesn't have that resistor in it, or just that you cut it out to check and you don't put it back, what you could get is sticking relay contacts or really erratic relay operation, especially um, where they're short cycling, like uh-huh. in that compressor. And really, this is due to start capacitor discharging through the relay contacts. And that's why it's important to have that in there um, following like short running cycles. So, kind of like I said, short cycling. And um, the resistor permits that capacitor to uh, charge to bleed down way faster to prevent any arcing or overheating in that relay. So that's very, very important. Guys, see that that there's no resistor there. If it's cut, you got to solder it back on. I know it's a, you might not have one in the truck, but it's important to do that or go get a new capacitor and put it on because then you're going to run into a different problem, right? Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to ask you. We tra- retract back there for a minute. So, start capacitor. You pull it out because you think it might be um, faulty or defective, but you want to check it. You got to cut that resistor out to check it. Eh? Is that what you're saying? That's what Copeland recommends. Yeah, cut the resistor and check it. You'll see in their uh, in their literature to do that. And I said, like I said, I've done it both ways. I've done it without cutting it out and got this and had the same resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, but always follow manufacturer's recommendations. Now, for those that are going to potentially go out and do this next time, like these are usually soldered on. 
So how do you recommend they, they put these, is, is there another way besides, cause not, I don't know if every tech is going to carry a soldering gun in their, in their pouch or in their truck. Um, I have one, but I rarely use it. How, is there an, a recommendation of how to put this back on without a soldering gun? Can you use some like uh stake ons or something? If you can extend the, the leads on it somehow. That, that's a good question. If I would say, if you, can't solder it back on either have a new one with the resistor or test it with take all the wires make sure it's bleed down and test it without it if you're getting the not the right readings you're gonna have to cut it and try it anyway if you if you can't put it back on you got to get another capacitor because those those relay contacts you could potentially start to damage those with arcing and stuff right uh-huh. I just I just had a a vision on like scrolling through Facebook and 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 seeing uh, somebody on like HVAC hacks putting <laughs> the resistor back on with like jumper wires or something and it's just it's just dangling there. I I just had that vision in my head. But, but. you you can go and buy third party uh, star caps that don't have them on it. So yeah, if you're putting it on our compressors, you want to put on a bleed resistor, really any of those single phase compressors because, like I said. Um, if those have short running cycles on that compressor, it's going to start to um, overheat and arc, arc on those uh, relays. And that's an issue. So what you need is a 15 to 18K ohm resistor, 2 watt resistor. And that's what it has to be soldered in. So if you're buying start caps uh, without them, you, you need to put them on. So if you buy Copeland ones, they'll have them on them already. That's, that's some good advice. So I, uh, I'm glad we touched on that. All right, guys, so let's take a quick break. Supco Trade Fox, the Trade Fox brand, what they're doing is they're taking technician invented tools and bringing them to market. So if you have an idea or an invention already created, you can take it to Trade Fox and you can speak to them and try to figure out a way to get this thing to market. Okay, there's an email address for that. It's ideas with an S, ideas at supcotradefox.com. Email them, guys, get in touch, and you guys can discuss from there on in okay one product that is making some waves in the industry is nylog white nylog white is basically a thread sealant for water and gas glycol now it comes from refrigeration technologies the same makers of nylog blue and it it doesn't dry it doesn't harden like traditional pipe dope and i've experimented with it and it's been successful. I've, I've had experiments with no leaks. So check out Nylog White. The only thing is uh, there's, there's a, a certification here in Canada that they're going after that they don't yet have. So just keep that in mind, guys, if you have it and you're in Canada and you have some of it. Just keep in mind that it's not, it's not certified yet to be used in Canada. But in the US, it's all good to go. Check it out, guys. In the meantime, Nylog White. Dan Foss, guys, I think coming up in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about turbo core compressors more. If you don't know what a turbo core compressor is, I want you to Google it because there's a lot of cool videos online, uh, animation videos, videos of repairs and whatnot. A turbo core compressor is is an oilless compressor. And there's magnetic bearings that basically float that, that don't really come in contact with anything. It 
and, and if you get into the videos a bit and see how this thing is programmed to run, how it shuts down on a power outage and all that kind of stuff, it's very, very cool. It's a Danfoss turbo core compressor. It's basically a compressor of one of its kind because it's oilless, which requires less maintenance, I would imagine, because oil in a compressor is vital to its operation, right? So there's compressors out there that have oil pumps. Um, there's compressors out there that have uh, oil return. Okay, there, there's, there's controls that go along with oil. So you eliminate all that stuff. So check them out, please. And do me a favor, if you guys are going to purchase tools and you're in the US, even if you're in Canada and, and you want True Tech Tools 8% off with promo code KNOWITALL, guys, 8% off your tool purchase. I mean, what more can you ask for? It's, it's a bit of a break that I'm glad you guys are getting to use. So anyway, let's get back to Trevor. I've got an image, like I, I put in start capacitor with bleed resistor on... Uh, Google here and I'm just scrolling through and half the pictures have bleed resistors half of them don't so it's it's really interesting that uh, like you're saying some manufacturers don't have them on so yeah we, we can go to to run capacitors next yeah no but like I said it's that discharging like when that that I say it uh, shuts down and is discharging and you don't have that resistor it's going to go discharge through those relay contacts so you could potentially be reducing the life of those relay contacts that's all so just mm -hmm. be aware of that cool um run capacitors right uh so they are used really to improve efficiency raise that power factor and uh really lower noise and they're always in the system so you'll see these ones they'll have a lower ratings than um than start uh capacitors yep and it's really to bring that start winding in phase with the run winding. And by doing that, you know, you're using the start winding to operate the motor also, thereby lowering the running amps. So it's, it's important. Uh, is it important to understand that? Well, it is if you're not putting the right capacitors in. So it's pretty important. You need to make sure you have the right ones in because maybe that compressor um, won't, won't start. Or if you don't bring that phase in properly, that compressor could... Uh, stall out or not start at all. I've seen that before, and I've talked to contractors calling me up and say, Trevor, I'm running into an issue with this single phase compressor. I had one of my guys here, I had to come out, and I took a look and uh, uh, not sure what's going on. And so I tell him, just take out Copa Mobile. I know we talked about Copa Mobile before, scan that serial number, that model number, and check the microfarads on the, the what's supposed to be on that compressor. And he take a look at it. Oh, this is the problem here. Someone put in a different uh, capacitor um, and causing How that issue. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I just used Copa Mobile on yesterday. No, two days ago. I uh, I found a, a dead crankcase heater on a on one particular unit, and I went to the uh, I went to the diagram to find out the voltage for that particular crankcase heater. It was one fifteen volts. I scanned the the compressor and i went to the crankcase heater i think it was in accessories or something like that i went to the crank there was like a bunch of different crankcase heaters i could get like different voltages wattages and stuff like that and i found the one there was only one that was 115 or 120 volts and so i ordered it through the part number and it was like it was so effortless it was like this is so easy <laughs> like awesome. i just i just scanned the compressor and got the part number i needed in like 30 seconds and 
now I'm placing the order for it. So it's it's a very good app and it works out really, really well. So one thing we should touch on before we like move to like three phase is when we're checking windings on a single phase compressor, we have the, the common, we have the start, and we have the run. Now, usually the rule of thumb is that if you check between start and common, start and run, and then common to run, all of those are, sorry, start to run should be a, a number that if you take start to common and run to common should add up between start and run, right? We should, we should be able to add those two up and get whatever we have between S and R, right? Exactly, yeah. So that's what I was taught in trade school too. They were like, a, you take your, your C to R and your C to S, you add them together and you get the R to S. Um, when you go on to Copeland Mobile, you're not going to have three numbers. You're going to have your common to run and your common to start, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it is in the app. And that's what you're going to measure against. So you're going to take your, uh, make sure the power's off, safe, safe to out, you know. Um, you, you can start from the, the contactor if you want, but there's going to be resistance in the uh, lines. And if you get anything weird, I always check it from the compressor. I always did. I was taught that when I was uh, apprentice. You know, always want to go from that compressor terminals. But you know, there's sometimes you're just doing a maintenance or you're just doing a quick check. You know, do it from the the contactor. But you want to be aware that if you do get weird readings or it's a ground or something, it could be the contactor. A lot of times it is. That's why in the U.S., if you're replacing any four six D compressor they need to see a contactor um, in the purchase order for warranty. Uh, I don't know if we do it here in Canada, but that's important. I, I believe we should do it on all of them because why they started that a long time ago is because they were seeing so many of the compressors coming back and there was nothing wrong with them. And uh, it's because, you know, you get a arcing or something wrong with the contact or fail contactor itself. So if you do it from the contactor, you get weird reasons. You got to go right to the compressor, pull the terminals off the compressor safely and uh, do it from there. And then, yeah, single phase compressor, you could have uh, the lower one's going to be your uh, common to run. So it could be like three and then your common to start would be 10, we'll say for an example. And then your run to start would be 13. Mm-hmm. Always go to the Copa mobile, scan the compressor to see what, it's supposed to be very important to do that measure against that certain compressor because single phase compressors are going to be different depending on uh, the size, the capacity, the type of motor itself. I got two points to make there. One, one about the, 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 the contactor. I, so I, I read this argument, this maybe going back a couple of years ago online about somebody that had replaced a compressor or something like that and, and the argument was started it was like a sub argument to an argument about uh putting a new contactor in with a new compressor and the person that said that was in the commercial world or or like heavy commercial or so, something along. It, w- it wasn't residential and then the person on the other side i believe they're more residential based and they're saying no you don't need to replace a contactor with a new compressor if the contactor's good and the guy and the guy's like, whoever told you that has been teaching you how to sell. And, and I was, I looked at that and, and I started to, to shake my head a little bit. And, and I'll tell you why we used to take care of a ton of server rooms across the city of Toronto, a ton of them. And these maintenances were that we were, they're called comprehensive. So basically 
the the customer pays a set fee and we go in and we do belts, filters, maintenance, coil cleaning, and we replace anything that's movable or serviceable or something like it. It's, it's weird the way it's written up. So we'd replace motors under that. We'd replace compressors under that, um, pulleys, stuff like that would all be covered under this one set fee. Now, anytime a compressor died, we would always get a brand new contactor. And that contactor, if we didn't replace it, would have been money back in the company's pocket. But we bought one anyway that came out of this chunk of money that the, the comprehensive account is paying, right? So we're actually losing money by buying that compress, compressor contactor. And that's what I, I thought of right away is this guy in commercial. There's a reason why he's saying change the contactor with the new compressor. I always do it myself. And I've, I've, I've talked to other guys that, that I'm friends with in the trade. We'll put in a, a new compressor, new, don't change the contactor. And then the contactor pulls in and like one of the legs like weld and it single faces and kills the brand new compressor because yep. maybe, maybe the spring was weird on it or maybe there was a bit of dirt. I don't, I don't know. Something happened with that contactor. So it's, it's always a good bet. It's a very cheap part and good um, insurance to change that contactor when you're changing a compressor. I, I always like to do that. Oh, 100%. Just do it. Um, and, and yeah, there, it's not expensive. Uh, in the When you're talking more commercial, you're talking you know $10,000 compressors compared to a, maybe a, a few hundred dollar uh, contactor. You know, there are lots of compressors that I replaced and I didn't change the contactor because these are massive contactors two three thousand dollar contactors and you know the replacement kits are seven or eight hundred bucks so we mm-hmm. would take them apart look inside make sure there's no arcing or no pitting or you know what i mean if there was yep. then we'd get a replacement kit and and you know rebuild that contactor um but on on at any time realistically you should be you should replace them and like i said down in the u.s it's mandatory for warranty uh, of compressors to uh to replace those uh contactors on those larger compressors uh, to get warranty. That's, that's good to know. That's good to know. And then the, the other point I was going to make regarding the, the windings. So sometimes you can go up to, a, I, I bet you there's a lot of compressors that have been returned under warranty because of this. Sometimes you'll go up to a compressor, you'll check between start and common, it's open. You check between um, run and common, it's open. But then when you go between start and run, you actually have resistance. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah and I bet you get a lot of dead. I bet you got a lot of warranty compressors because of that, don't you? Oh, it's uh, it's just something guys need to understand. And one thing, and we'll get into that, is these protectors in compressors. So you can go up to that compressor. Oh, it's an open winding, but if you once again you look at the back of that that plate or that that electrical cover, it's going to show that there's a protector on there. So it could be that protector is open, right? And that's something you need to be aware of um, because if you touch the compressor just, and it's really warm, you know, that protector uh, is most likely open. Give it time to cool. Yeah. Um, there are single phase that have internal ones. There are single phase that have external ones. You can see on like uh, our K bodies um, where they'll have an external one. And I've seen this many, many, many times where uh, I'll be doing a class. You were at one of my teardown classes a few years back uh, where I pull out, we pull off it and I'm like, hey, everyone can okay, get out the meters and first thing, let's check uh, after we scan the model and take out Kogamo, let's check the, the winding resistance. They'll go on it. 
and I'll get them to fill out the little uh, report, you know, the little lab that we do. And then all of a sudden uh, it's open windings. And then I take a look and then there's no wires on the protector itself. So you'll see that some need to have the protector on there. And so this, and we'll talk about that on the three phase, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but that's, that happens a lot where guys will pull off the, the wires, but you need that in there that, uh, to check your windings. So on the single phase one, the overloads uh, on the common one. So you, like you said, if you go to the common, all of a sudden it's, it's open, but you go to your uh, start and run and it's closed or, or you get resistance. Sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. it's your overloads open. So give it time. Yeah. So, so rule of thumb for anyone listening, if the compressor is hot and you have an open winding somewhere, give it time to cool because it could be your internal overload that's causing your, your problem, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. Cool. cool. So let's, let's move to some three-phase stuff. What is different between three-phase and single-phase, first of all? Okay, so one of the main difference is, is um, well, voltage supply. Um, you know, different wound, they're wound a bit differently. And uh, when you're electrically checking them, they're different as well. They are more of a, you know, higher start torque, higher running efficiency, and you don't need any uh, capacitors or relays with three-phase compressors. So um, really, you get better efficiency than the single phase. Uh, it draws, uh, I guess, fewer watts. You know, you get higher BTUs per watt on three-phase compressors. I don't know if that's important to anybody, but... That's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a nerd language right there. I've never even yeah. heard of that term. Watts per... What did you say? Watts per BTU? Is that what you said? <laughs> uh, BTU per watt. Yeah, BP, BTUs per watt. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of that or seen that anywhere. Yeah, well, there's... Uh, what is it? Uh, one BTU is 3.14 watts or 4.1. I can't remember now. Got myself a little cl- uh, flustered there, so... But yeah, no capacitors, no relays required on uh, on three-phase compressors. And then uh, when you're ohming them out or, or checking your winding resistance, once again, safely power off, um, it's not the same as single-phase compressors. So now you're going to get equal resistance across the winding, or you should get equal resistance across those windings. So yeah. just say it's uh, 0.75, you should get 0.75, 0.75, 0. 0.75 for an example. Once again... Mm-hmm measure that compared to Copa mobile um and and you're not going to always get it exactly on because there could be oil there could be refri- a little bit of refrigerant still you know in there in the compressor itself there could be a bit of contamination and uh as long as you're close within 10 percent, usually that, that's fine if you get start getting higher than that or you get uh when you check resist we didn't talk resistance to the ground yet but you check at the ground and if you have a really good meter that can uh, do uh, high ohm rate, uh, you get say uh, 50 mega ohms or 20 mega ohms. You start getting lower than 20 mega ohms, there could be dirt in the system. doesn't mean the compressor is uh, compressor's dead or not. So that's something we'll talk about in a little bit on uh, mega, mega values, mega meter values, I guess. That's, yeah. that's, 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 I was, I was just going to, agree with you there I've, I've seen it before and, and i've read up on a lot of this stuff with with megas how you can mega out a compressor it'll look like it's bad 
because there's contamination in the oil that's actually carrying um, that's actually carrying some of that current from the megger back to the ground, the, the body of the compressor because of the contamination in the oil. And then if you were to change the oil, fresh oil, your meg your megohm reading would change. But a lot of a lot of the times you can't change the oil. Like if, if you're working on like a like a residential two ton, three ton system, you're not gonna pull the compressor and dump the oil. You're just probably just gonna change the compressor while you have it out. Cause I don't see anybody paying for you to dump the oil and say, I, I got to put it back in and see if it works now. I mean, cause that just, it just seems like it's, it could work, but it might not. Right. So it just seems like you put those things on, on the scale and, and weigh them. If I'm pulling this out, all the labor, um, maybe recommend to the customer that I put a new compressor back in, or at least have one on site with me anyway. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And usually on smaller ones, the whole point of uh, using a megometer is test against a baseline. And that's what a lot of, compressors aren't there's no baseline mm-hmm. so you'll see this in big industrial refrigeration and commercial refrigeration on big big compressor that's day one commissioning they are gonna uh, uh mega megometer that motor check that that uh, those um uh windings right because what it does is measuring uh, very high resistance uh by using higher volts and you're just checking you're checking those windings but you need that baseline too and then when you don't have a baseline and you're doing a, a mega reading test, you know you could have, like you said, contaminated refrigerant, high oil level, I know current leakage, you know. So it's important to to understand that. And then most uh, meters, like uh, just standard meters, they'll say bad below twenty mega ohms. So be aware of that if your your yours is uh, your meter only has lights on and it says below twenty mega ohms potentially that compressor could be still okay. Um, like you said, smaller ones, little little package ones, um, you're not going to really change that oil. But we have an AE bulletin co- on this, on, on how to check it. It's AE41294. I'm pretty sure that's the, the bulletin. And it'll show you what you want to do. You want to take it at a new compressor and then maybe once a year at the, that maintenance, if you want to check. I don't recommend it on smaller ones i know they do it on on big big uh compressors but you'll see it i'll tell you if you get below um, above that 0.5 mega ohm the compressor could be still okay but if you get below it most likely you're going to content condemn that compressor but check out that ae bulletin and it'll explain it in there for you mm-hmm. and and i do have that that mega you're talking about with the that's the subco m500 with the lights on it and yeah. it's it's I use that thing all the time, but I don't use it for the way that people think that you would use a Megger. Like a lot of people use a Megger to check motors and stuff, um, which is a good application for it. It's, it's a good preventative tool to, like you said, get a baseline and then check it every six months or every year to see if, if that baseline is slipping, right? Um, the, the, the Supco M500 that, that I have, I don't really use it for that because as you said, it's only got the light. You can't actually see a a real number that, that displays. Um, but I found a ton of problems, uh, with that mega starting from like the terminal. Like if I have a short that shows up every once every week or once every two months and it pops a fuse and no one knows why you take that little mega and you start at the, at the terminal block. Um, so if it's a three phase unit, you start on the first leg to ground. And then if it says bad, you follow that until 
and, and you start pulling uh, wires off of contactors and stuff like that until, until that light goes away. And then you put it back on, it's bad again. You're like, oh, and what, what I, I find with it a lot is carbon tracking from a contactor on yep. the line side of it, going back to the panel um, of like the, the panel of the unit. So it's, it's basically grounding. And the reason why it shows up every once in a while is because in my experience, there needs to be moisture in the air to embed into that carbon track or dust track. Once that moisture embeds itself, any current that's on the line side is going to creep through that that moisture and, and dust or carbon and hit ground. And then if you come back on a dry day, you check everything with your meter. Oh, it's good. You change the fuse and walk away. And it's good until like two weeks later when it rains again, then it pops. So that that's just a little bit of a tidbit. I've written an article on that and I've got a video on that and stuff. And it's, it's something that's really difficult to find. But that mega is absolute gold in finding those issues. No, very interesting. That's, I'm going to yep. have to check that out, that article. Something else. Yeah, about, I, I, uh, I can send it to you after. But anyway, go, also, on, go on. Yeah, something else about three phase compressors. We also have compressors that have something called uh, Scott T connections. And uh-huh. this one can trick up some guys where you have um, it's a three phase compressor, but two of the windings are equal resistant, but the third one's lower in, re- in resistance. So um, there's an A bulletin you can check out. It's specific compressors that have this. And um, the current draw on it, I, I believe it, you'll have to look at the performance data. But anyway, AE41387, three phase compressor. You go, as I remember I said earlier, you get you know one, one, and one across it. This one, you're going to have one, one, and 0.75, for example. So always check it to Copeland Mobile because it'll have it in there when it's one of those compressors. So just scan that. Uh, model number. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things about three-phase compressors, you know, you can do uh, direct across the line um, for it, and you can have part winding starts. So really what that means is that you'll have two contactors in place, and you'll have a time relay, and what will happen, one, uh, one will pull in, uh, and then the next one will pull in. You, I've seen a lot of this in uh, supermarket refrigeration. Uh, so just be aware that sometimes you'll see two contactors for one compressor. Yeah, I, I used to see this a lot back when I first started in the trade. I haven't seen it very often. Like I've seen it on some like old decrepit units that shouldn't even have been on the roof. Um, some older like York condensing units and stuff that had yep. the one contactor pull in, started a time delay. Like it's usually like like a split second or like two seconds later, the other one pulls in. Um, but I haven't seen one in a very long time. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've been seeing some of them come in um, when I because I go through the compressor come in all the time. I love playing around and pulling compressors apart. So I have seen some because they do have like a different setup on the terminal block uh, for that because you got to have like the different jumper bars set up and and another insulating block. So always when you're doing those, just double check the wiring, uh, how to wire it properly and. Uh, Usually you'll, you'll see that on that wiring diagram once again on the back of that electrical plate. So if you're doing across the line or you're doing uh, part winding start. Uh-oh, I think I lost you. Oh, oh yeah. there, there, there you are. There you are. Yeah, I lost you for a sec there. That was weird. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Um, but well, no, it's, it's, it, it keeps recording. Even though I lost you, it keeps recording because your, 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 your sound bars were still showing up. I just couldn't hear you. Okay. 
No. That was that was weird. It was the most important thing that I've <laughs> I've said all night. No, I don't know. <laughs> so, so three phase compressors to the motor protector I talked about earlier in our K bodies. Those wires must be left in place to ohm out the compressors because if they pull them off, uh, it's going to show open winding or open legs, I guess. Sorry, and uh, you could run into an issue there. Oh, it's open. Compressors open, open everywhere. So it's failed. But really, you pulled off the protector on those three-phase compressors. So just be aware of that. Mm-hmm. And what about checking power? So we talked about the resistance being the same across each winding, but also power needs to be the same across each phase of the compressor as well, right? Yeah, yeah we didn't get into that. Uh, but you're, you're 100% right. Uh, the, uh, voltage and balance, a lot of guys miss. You know, they go, they'll go over it, and I've, I know I've, done it in the past where i'll go oh yeah that's 210 oh yeah, that's 212 oh that's uh 200 you know what i mean or whatever and uh you want to make sure you're within uh i would say five percent you wouldn't want to be more than five percent uh, i know on our copeland uh core sense protection you can change it between two and eight percent up to the, the contractor themselves but mm-hmm. um, people will say like depending on who the mechanic is they'll say different things but if it's more than five percent, because um, you got to do a calculation, figure it out. You got to take them and divide them. And what, what is the mean? And but uh, when you do that, uh, you don't want to be more than five percent out. I wouldn't want to be anyway. That's 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 good to know. That's good to know. And then the the other thing too is like you're talking about. You pull that cover off of the compressor plate, and and it's usually the the same on three phase and single phase. You see the uh, the 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 common the start and the run but beside it you see t1 t2 and t3 right so that is differentiating between single phase and three phase and basically that those it's that's super important on a on a scroll compressor that you you match t1 t2 and t3 from the legs of the contactor because you could um, reverse that that compressor by um actually spinning it backwards and and that that's a good question actually somebody i was talking here, about here. how you could potentially unseize a scroll by wiring it backwards and just running it for like a, a couple of seconds just to see if it'll break break that 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 seizure up um but someone said they ruined a compressor by running it backwards but i've seen scroll compressors run backwards for days like somebody commissioned it wrong and you go back and it's oh it's, it's running backwards and you wire it right and it's fine so can you actually ruin the compressor by spinning it backwards on a scroll oh no, well you can um if it's just runs backwards well what happens when it runs backwards what doesn't happen how about that gary when uh, a scroll runs backwards it doesn't pump it doesn't pump but what else doesn't happen either um, it doesn't draw current really well it does but not much doesn't draw much current well there's yeah. something a bit two things that are pretty important like, so if it's spinning backwards in like scroll compressors in the crankshaft there's two flinger feeds uh, and it sucks the oil up and if you don't have the oil coming up you're going to start running into issues and what usually happens a compressor runs backwards and it'll trip off on um, temp right your internals will trip because it's running backwards, you're not getting any lubrication. Mm-hmm. And then it'll cool down and it'll happen again. There's time delays in there. If that keeps happening over time, it's going to lead to a failure. 
I've seen this before where guys said, oh, this has been in running backwards, must be for years. Uh, well, the compressor probably didn't start up for years. Maybe like there's a lead leg or something and that one didn't start. But we'll say, and depending on what A Boltons is, you can run it uh, up to, and depending on a single phase or three phase, you could probably run it for up to an hour, I think we say in there. I'll have to double check. Don't quote me on the timeline, but depending on the compressor, you could be running backwards for up to an hour, but it wouldn't run an hour backwards. It would trip off on its internals. Okay. And put it back into phase and then, then, it, then it will run. Um, because on single phase compressors, if you get a power uh, a brownout or a power fluctuation or power issue where it shuts down the compressor, compressor starts to slow down and powers... Uh, hits the compressor again, it could run backwards. I, I never knew that until uh, I started working with Copeland, where the single phase, if you have a power um, brownout, quick brownout, and it starts back up, it could start up backwards. But same thing happens. It'll run until the, it'll trip on its internals, and then when it starts up again, it'll start up in the right direction. That's on single phase compressors. Three phase compressors are just going to stay backwards until someone changes the legs. Yeah, I think I heard that recently, and I totally forgot that I even heard it. And then you just reminded me of that. See, it's it's crazy how much you forget <laughs> in in this trade, man. It's like every day you learn something, then you forget something that you were trying to retain. Yeah, yeah, I know all about it. I do it all the time too. So we're talking about <laughs> voltage variations, and I don't know if I mentioned this. So usually, like semi hermetics, you get a plus or minus ten percent. Uh, single okay. phase, we'll say. And uh, usually the same for three phase, plus or minus 10%. Depending, like there's some extended voltage. I'm pretty sure I read before where it doesn't go down to minus 10, it's minus five. But I usually go with 10, uh, 10 above, 10 below for the voltage variance. And then I mentioned earlier, like three phase, that imbalance should be more, no more than 5%. There's something going on. Uh, I would figure out why there's that much imbalance between those legs. Um, because if you have a phase monitor on there, like you could see these, uh, I've seen them on racks a lot, and I'm sure you've seen phase monitors before. Um, you can set them up to trip uh, at a certain uh, percentage. Yeah, that, that's important because that could that could save you a thousand or save your customer thousands of dollars and save you a, a headache on a, a Friday afternoon, right? Yeah. So there is a, once again a bulletins. I keep preaching this to everyone. Uh, I've, I've learned so much from these application engineering bulletins, but if you want to learn about that, those it's a nine, uh, 12, 28, I think. And it'll talk about the voltage variance in uh, like phase monitors and stuff like that. Cool. Cool. So, I mean, we kind of covered uh, quite a bit there and I, I, there's, there's something that I was thinking of while we were talking about compressor windings and, and the mega and, it reminded me of compressors running in a vacuum and how a lot of people say, we'll never power a compressor while it's in a deep vacuum. And, and that's true, but some, something that, and, and I don't know if, if, if you've ever thought of this or if you've looked into this, but I started looking into this a, a while back and I'm like, why can't you power a compressor in a deep vacuum? And the reason being is if, if you're pulling a vacuum on a compressor and somehow push the contactor in or something like that you could fry it reason being is you've removed all atmosphere from around those windings and there's no there's no barrier at all so you can actually that power could actually jump through that winding and, and, and go to ground but i've i've seen people say the same thing with compressors that are running 
with refrigerant in them in a vacuum. Like some some uh, low pressure switches for for refrigeration. So some like a, a box that runs at like minus forty, it runs really cold. The pressure is really low to begin with, and if it's really cold outside too, sometimes you have to set that low pressure switch in a slight vacuum to get it to. Sh- to, to shut off properly and people are like oh you can't do that i'm like why why can't you and the reason being that you can run a compressor in a vacuum with refrigerant in it is because there's refrigerant there's there's a vapor barrier of refrigerant around exactly. those windings whereas if you're pulling a vacuum you have removed all atmosphere any barrier whatsoever so there's a clear difference between powering a compressor when it's running in a vacuum when you're pulling a vacuum and running in a vacuum was actually actually has refrigerant in it and i actually heard um it was uh geez i think it was brian johnson from blue on it was either him or mike mabry they they were having this discussion online where they 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 had it live on instagram i think it was on there i heard them talking about it and and they brought that back up and i thought that was such an important point and it reminded me of that when we were talking about meggers and and windings and stuff like that so i just wanted to throw that in there no, exactly. No, well, I've seen, I've worked on systems that run in, um, you know, minus fifteen back, you know, on two stage compressors. Oh, doesn't, surpri- doesn't surprise me, yeah. So, but you're exactly right. It has that refrigerant in there. What would happen though is, and I've seen this on, uh, and I got some pictures and from uh, the lab, is we see, I've seen compressors come back and we cut it, cut it open, and we look and there's an arc on the fusites. So the fusites that go in and connect to the motor and what we believe happened, I talked to my inspection guys. So you lose the refrigerant out of that compressor. It runs and runs and runs. It still has some refrigerant in there, even in the oil and that oil it's in a vacuum that refrigerant starts to boil off until there's no refrigerant left in there and it still runs in the, in that vacuum and bam, you get that arc. But if that refrigerant was still in there, um, that compressor probably wouldn't arc. So yeah, there's, if there's refrigerant in there, it'll it can run into a vacuum because just the way you explained it exactly. <laughs> so this this is good that we did this at the end of the podcast because now when I do my intro, I'll be like, you guys got to listen to the end of the podcast to get a little a little tip. <laughs> yeah, anyway. you know, there's still so much more on electrics. Like we can talk about solid state uh, protectors on our larger compressors, four and sixty. Um, if you want to get into any of that. Um, yeah yeah what, what what do you want to so solid state protectors as in like um like phase car, monitor type thing well no these are car wands or our core sense okay core sense either communication on our scrolls or um our core sense protection on our semi-hermetics mm-hmm. so the solid state protectors themselves so if you look on a 4d or a 6d compressor you'll you'll have like three um the three main L1, L2, L, L3, or T1, T2, T3, or you'll have six or nine uh, pins, terminal pins. But on beside those pins, you'll have an extra four pins. So you'll have a common, an S1, S2, and an S3. And really, that's solid state sensors that are inside the compressors. So what's in there, there are um, PTC sensors, positive temperature coefficient sensors, inside the, the windings of the compressors. So when the compressor is cold, um, the sensors will read out, you go common to S1, you have like 30 ohms, 30 ohms, 30 ohms, or 50 ohms, close to that, I can't remember. Depending on the compressor in the year, you'd have to look into AE Bolton. 
Uh, but then those PTC uh, resistors or those sensors inside there protect the compressor um, if it starts to overheat. So what it'll do, it'll send a signal back to this car, the, used to be the car one module or the core sense protection on the semi-hermetic, or it'll go back to our core sense communication on our uh, air conditioning scrolls, our larger air conditioning scrolls. Really what you want to do is like if you're working on these semi-hermetics and you want to check those connectors, you take your, your meter out and you ohm between common to S1, common to S2, common to S3 with the wires off, with the wires off. And inside there, inside there, if you ever get a failed sensor, an open sensor inside the compressor, you can add actually a resistor uh, from that wire to common to bypass it. But if you have to do that, I would highly recommend talking to the end user saying, I, I just had to bypass one of your internal sensors on the compressor. We really need to order you up a new compressor uh, because we don't know how long the other two are going to last. And these are really the safeties inside that compressor. So that's just one thing to be aware of. Um, a bolt-in uh, 10, 1264, check it out. Uh, and I'll talk about the, the different Carwan sensors as well as the, I believe it might have the core sense protection in there. And that, once again, those PT sensors are embedded in the uh, motor windings. Mm -hmm. you, you just brought up something, or you reminded me of something as you were talking about that. This is going back to maybe when I was like third or fourth year apprentice. And it was, it was a semi-hermetic and it had sensors embedded in it and they were bad and it wouldn't allow the compressor to run. I, I don't remember if they were the, the solid state type. I don't, maybe not because it was such an old uh, compressor, old unit, but it, it had resistors of some sort in there that was measuring or, or not resistors, but maybe thermistors in there of some sort that were measuring temp and one or all of them were bad, but I can't remember the, the full details, but it stopped the compressor from running. And what my boss had me do at the time was strap a, uh, strap a temperature. Uh, it was like a, I know mechanical a 19, but it had a reset on it, had a reset. Um, so it was probably not an a 19, a different model number, but it was along the lines of that where it had a bulb strapped it to the the discharge line he's like strap it to the discharge line wire it in through that that sensor or whatever and set it to 225 degrees and i did and, and it ran and i'm like i didn't really understand back in the day but we talked about that on the last podcast is the fact that um 225 degrees discharge line is is where you, is the max you, you want to see because of the oil breakdown and stuff like that. So I thought that was interesting that he had me do that to keep this thing going. And it was on its last legs anyway. The unit was replaced, I think, within the, the year after that. But it was just a, a cool little trick to get the compressor back up and running. Yeah, yeah, no, you definitely, there's some tricks that you can do to keep a compressor going, things like that. But once again, a big thing for all the techs out there, talk to your customer about this stuff and let them know that a replacement's needed. Give them the upfront, the heads up, you know, because they could have a, lose a lot of product or have a lot of uncomfortable employees. <laughs> uh, so it's make sure you always be open with your customers, right? A few other things that I really want to let everyone know about. We got some great tools. We talked about Copa Mobile throughout this presentation. I talked about AE Boltons. We have that application engineering Bolton app, AE uh, Boltons app from Emerson. But we also have something called the HVAC Fault Finder app. 
And this is a troubleshooting app. I do have a guide that I'm going to send you that you can send out to uh, all uh, all the people on the line. But uh, we have like a, it's called a Copeland troubleshooting guide. And it goes like compressors not running. Uh, allow time for the compressor protector to reset. So if, you, if it's hot and then it goes check voltage at the compressor terminals. Do you got proper voltage or you got improper voltage? If you got improper voltage, check or replace compressor or, you know, check the voltage issue. And it's a flow chart to, for these certain electrical checks and you go step by step through it. So I'll send you the chart, but also the same thing's done in this app. So it's a troubleshooting app and you can go into this app and it'll ask you, do you got a protector? If you say, no, I don't have a protector, like a core sense protector, uh, protection, communication, all the different over 20 or 30 that we have are, are d- developed. If you don't have one, you can do this on a standard compressor. So it'll ask you, um, after you have a, do you have a compressor mo- uh, module? You say no. Um, is there a protector trip and which one? Is it the thermostat? Is the low pressure control? Is the high pressure control? And you go through this step-by-step to at the point where it says, do not replace the compressor, check, um, check the system or check the wiring, or it'll tell you, replace the compressor. So before, you know, before, before you replace the compressor, use this app or get this guide and and take a look at it because I've seen it before and we've seen it many, many times. Compressors coming back. I throw it on the bench, I hit it with power. She just pumps. So just be aware that before you're cutting out, because it's a big job to replace a compressor. And I didn't want to do it if I didn't have to. I respected my customer, but. I didn't want to change compressors just to change compressors either. You know, ask the question. Yeah. If you don't know, ask them. There's so many people like you, other influencers out there that I want to help, all of the technicians out there. If you don't know, ask the question. Text me, email me. It doesn't matter. I'll help out. I'll get you the proper tech support people to, to find out the answers. Because at the end of the day, I want your, you know, your learning ability, your technical ability to get better and better continue to learn. You're never going to know everything. I, I feel like it's day one right now. We're having this conversation. I feel like I'm still a novice at uh, troubleshooting compressors. And I do it day in and day out uh, at tech support. So very important to continue to learn. Take these tools that we talked about today and use them in the field. We continue to build them more. And other manufacturers and other um, companies have them as well. Use those ones as well. Whoever's manufacturer the equipment you're working on, they have apps, download them, learn them, understand them, build your knowledge set so you feel confident when you're troubleshooting something. And when you say, uh, this is a failed compressor, you know confidently it's a failed compressor. Yep. Sound words, man. And and that flow chart would go, because I wrote an uh, um, HVAC R troubleshooting article that basically goes through cer- certain steps you need to you need to cross before you can move to the next. Like, um, voltage, primary voltage, uh, secondary voltage. Do you have it? Because if you don't have it, you can't go to the next step. Um, do you have airflow? If, if you don't have it, you can't go to the next step. So this, this flow chart, I, I want to add that to my article and then I can just link it back to, you said HVAC fault finders an app. Is that its own app? Yeah. Cause I, I yeah, can yeah. link that. I can link the flow chart back right to, um, the the app so people can when they see it they can they can download it to, to help you out there but yeah I, th- I think i want to add that to my article because it'll it'll really put a finishing touch on it and then it'll give you a link back to to this fault finder app as well so 
Yeah. Cool. It's not going to give, it's not going to give you the answer. You know what I mean? You still got to do some work, yeah. but the whole point of it is that it's, it's a better guide. You know, you're not going to look at the TX valve or something, something like that. It kind of gives you an idea on what could be going on. Cause you know, well, that, you that's what as guide yeah. people, right? Yeah, yeah. You get to a system and the breakers trip. Well, first thing you got to do is you got to turn the breaker back on. You know what I mean? Shut the system down, turn the breaker on and turn the system back on. If it trips the breaker again, well, then you got to start investigating, you know, what, what's the voltage coming into the unit, you know, or you got the right voltage there. Is it, you know, the contactor is the compressor, you know, then you got to check the resistance of the compressor to ground. So what's grounding out that instantly trips it? You know what I mean? It doesn't, the contactor starts to like start to shake and then all of a sudden it trips, you know what I mean? It doesn't, the compressor runs for a minute and then it trips the breaker. If it instantly blows the, the breaker or blows the fuses, what, what's causing that? You got to figure that out. You, you can't just be like, put new fuses in and walk away, right? There, there's something always happens. It's like a service call, Gary, to be honest. If you get a service call, someone's calling for a reason. They're not just saying, uh, I'm calling for no reason at all. They don't want to be paying 150 bucks an hour for a contractor to be coming in, you know? So there's a reason there's a call. Figure out why they made that call, you know? That's the most important thing. Because on the refrigeration side, maybe it just came out of defrost. They checked it at that that exact time when it was still a bit warm. They didn't check the product. Or, well, the case is at 45 degrees or 55 degrees. I better call. And they make the phone call because, oh, it's too warm. But really, it just came out of defrost. But you got to figure that out. Go look at the time clock. Go look at the control panel, right? Every service call is called for a reason. I'll, I'll give I'll, yeah, I'll give you a perfect example of that. And this happens all of the time. And, and this is the scenario. This is the, the analogy I give to the customer. So I'll get a call that um, some of these boxes I work in, they have like three, four sensors in them and sensor one or four or, or whichever. So oh, it's, it's too hot. That sensor is alarming. You got to come look at it. And usually it's, it's something really, really stupid. Like They've blocked um, the sensor, the airflow around the sensor with a bunch of product. Or, or one of the biggest things that happens is they load way too much into the cooler or the freezer and the temperature spikes. And, and they're like, well, why does it do that? And I'm like, well, you just put a whole bunch of warm stuff in a freezer and you put too much of it in there. So it's having a hard time dealing with the load in there. And I said, think, think about this. You have an empty fridge. Um, the fridge is down to temperature, but you take beer that's been like, you take like four cases of beer that's been sitting on your front porch on a, like a hundred degree, a hundred, hundred uh, degree day outside. And you just shove them in your fridge. What do you think is going to happen to that temperature in the fridge? It's going to go up because the, the heat in the beer or the heat in the case of, of the beer, and it's going to take a long time to bring that down. So I respond to calls and I have to, I get there and it's elevated the temperature and I'm like, well, why is it elevated? And then I have to go. And luckily a lot of times they, they actually write on the skids when they were loaded in. So I'll go in the cooler and go, Hmm, this five skids were loaded in here like four hours ago. I mean, (laughs) that's why your temperature is elevated. There's nothing wrong with the system. And I, and I love to see that the fact they, they write this down because otherwise I could be scratching my head. What is wrong with this system? Like, why is it not keeping up? Right. And, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why it might not be keeping up is because of overloading. Um, or if it, like you said, it could be in defrost and there could be, while it's in defrost, there could be activity going in and out, in and out of that box, the door opening and closing. And that's, that's where trend logs come in. I'm a huge 
proponent of people checking for trend logs if your customer can provide them for you or if they can't get them on some sort of monitoring system where you can look and go back and look at these trends because I've looked at trends that's helped me troubleshoot equipment without even looking at the equipment. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. But that's the thing, what you're doing, you're still finding the answer of why. Exactly. Not just, oh, it's back back down to temp. I've seen this and I've heard this many times where we get there and all of a sudden the case is back to temp or the cooler's back to temp. Well, you got to figure out still why they made that call. They said that case was warm or that cooler was warm. Well, you still have to go figure out, okay, it was in a defrost. That's when they called. Now it's back to temp and explain that to them. So they understand uh, why you were there, right? And so you understand because you just don't want to walk away out. It was cool the whole time. There was a reason why they called. Just figure that out. Yeah, and if you're getting paid for it, it's billable hours and you're not being rushed. Like I, I've stopped rushing through calls a long time ago. I'll, I'll show up. And I will sit if I need to, like today, I I went to a job that I had to throw some add on boards into a a couple of Dakin split VRF systems that I've never done before. So I didn't go there and rush into the job. I sat down, I read the literature, went online, read some stuff, scoped out the job and came up with a plan before I even started it. And, and, uh, and this is the approach I take with everything. Now, if I go on a call, um, I'm starting from scratch. I'm starting from the beginning and I'm investigating it like I'm a, like I'm a detective of some sort and, and I'm picking up clues from here and there and piecing them together. And that takes time. You can't do that in five minutes or 10 minutes. You got to piece these things together slowly and come up with a, a proper, a proper diagnosis. Oh, 100%. Uh, definitely in service call, like a lot of the great technicians that I, I deal with and work with, they, they'll walk in and the first thing is like we always talk about is, you know, look, listen, you know, touch and feel. Don't even, you don't need to bring, go talk to the customer. That's what you need to do when you get to a job site. So you don't need to be bringing all your tools in yet because you don't know what tools you even need until you assess the the situation. And then, then from doing those that look, touch, listen and feel, um, then you can go ahead and figure out, okay, where do I go next? You know, so. Awesome. All right. Well, I, I think that, that, that about wraps up. It's almost my bedtime, Trevor. So <laughs> I got to yeah. get some sleep. <laughs> I'm sure you yeah. do too. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Gary, thanks so much for having me again. Yeah, no problem, man. We should do this like once every few weeks, just get on here and, and, and chat about stuff like this because it's good conversation. For sure. You let me know on some of the topics you want to do. And uh, yeah, I'm down with it. Um, I like doing this. I like sharing information. I like helping others out. So yeah, I'm definitely down anytime. Cool, man. All right, guys, that's it. Another one in the bag. Thank you again to Trevor for volunteering your time. And thank you again to the Master Group, guys. Check out master.ca for more info. I'm out. Happy HVACing.